Hello again, and welcome to episode 7 of The Living Enterprise, from CIO.com in association with Adobe and Microsoft. In this series of podcasts, we're building a user-friendly guide to how CIOs can become the beating heart of their own living enterprise, a future-thinking organisation which embraces change across people, process and technology. In this episode, we're looking over the horizon to see how technology, global events and people are going to shape the living enterprises of the future. The best job you ever want to be in at the moment is a futurist because you never are held accountable to anything. And then by the time someone worked out whether it was actually going to be feasible or not, you've moved on to the next one. I think we should not ask the question, what's the next big thing in technology? If pandemic and the world crisis has told us something, we should look for the next big problem to solve. Commitment to diversity and inclusion has got to infuse everything you're doing as a leader. It's something that has got to permeate everything you do. So let's start with a simple enough question. How far ahead should a future-proofing CIO look? Jay Farrow is CIO at QuickRete. It's a great question. If you had asked me that probably 15 years ago, I would have said three years. I was naive enough to believe that I could see that far into the future. (laughs) I would say that I have a rolling 18 to 24-month plan at all times. Obviously, if a project starts in year two and it's going to continue beyond that, you kind of know you're going to work on it. And I think anything beyond two, you're still investing time thinking about, but at that point, it is more directional. You're keeping an eye on emerging technologies. You're looking for opportunities to consolidate, simplify, and standardize. You're looking at your current stack and saying, what is going to be deprecated at that point? I mean, there's going to be some data points out there, but it gets a little fuzzy to me after about two years. And then it'll be blown up by, I don't know, coronavirus, Um, the pandemic du jour, a disruptive technology or whatever. So you've got to be able to pivot, be adaptable, and not get too married to everything that you have planned When disruptive forces do happen, whether it be coronavirus on the negative side or maybe a disruptive technology or on the positive side, an amazing opportunity, and you've always are looking for ways to be more nimble and to simplify your environment, you're going to be that much more prepared to take advantage of those opportunities. And David McGraw, CDO at Clubs Australia, agrees that technology leaders need to keep an open mind about what the future holds, but be prepared to pivot at a moment's notice. I think being fortunate enough to sit in a technology position where your strategy and the way that you coordinate the future for an organisation, it gives you the opportunity and certainly gives you the responsibility that you should be reading looking and experiencing as much technology as you possibly can. You know, there's so much that's being developed all around the world and it's almost a job in your own right to be able to keep across it. I mean, I remember talking to people and saying the best job you ever want to be in at the moment is a futurist because you never are held accountable to anything. By the time someone worked out whether it was actually going to be feasible or not, you've moved on to the next one. So, you know, a great occupation is being a futurist. I might have to do that when I come back and have another run at this. So what are the technologies our CEOs are watching and waiting to see if they're the real deal? AI comes up a lot in the context of this conversation. Though often, that conversation is diluted with a healthy dose of scepticism. 
For one thing, many, like Steve Allison, head of product marketing for audience and data technologies at Adobe for EMEA, think the term itself is misleading. We tend to bandy the word AI when actually what we probably mean is machine learning. And actually what we probably mean by machine learning is a trained algorithm. So the reality is, no, the machine is not thinking and making these decisions for us. The reality is there is an algorithm, a statistical relationship between someone doing this and some business activity happening. That algorithm is then trained against the data, and that's what gives you the ability to make these decisions about the likelihood of someone to do something really fast, really easily, actually, from all that data that becomes available to them. And Kane McGladry, cybersecurity strategist at Ascent Solutions, is another who's reluctant to believe all the hype. The perception of artificial intelligence for the past few years is it's going to be this miracle cure that's going to come save us all from the hiring crisis and that it's going to be able to intelligently find signals in noise that would not be found by humans because, honestly, humans, other people, they go on holiday, they get sick, they take breaks, they miss things. The truth of the matter behind artificial intelligence turns out it's a tool. And it turns out it's not really good at figuring out weirdness. Humans are really good at figuring out weirdness because we can look around in the world. AI does not have that example. I think moving forward with AI, if there's one thing we've learned is, yeah, it can parse information in its own way at scale, but it's up to people to make decisions based on that information. Cynthia Stoddard, CIO at Adobe, agrees AI isn't there yet, but she's excited about its potential. I think that AI is still in the early days, but I think it can have a super impact on, you know, how we do and how we think about interacting, you know, through the customer journey. And data is still a challenge. Data is still all over the place. You know, we have a lot of experience, you know, cleaning, integrating, but I think that it's still very early days for how we can leverage it to help build business capabilities and drive better experiences for our customers. AI and ML, deep learning, you know, from the work that we've been doing internally, we've had some great results in automating business processes and taking out the human touch. Also, we've been experimenting with natural language processing and self-healing. And again, I think, you know, once we unleash the technology to these talented people that I have on my staff, they just think of some amazing ways to use it in real life business problems. And David McGrath from Clubs Australia says there are a number of other emerging technologies which are worth keeping an eye on. Cryptocurrency, I think, will evolve. It'll be interesting to see how multiple coins, how many of them are left, you know, when we get to an assemblance of standardization or some normalization of it all. But the concept of blockchains, incredibly sound. I think we're going to see more and more impact around that and, you know, some pressure put on banks and the banking system. I think one of the things I'm certainly looking at, and this is not necessarily relevant to the role right now, but I'd like to think from a futuristic point of view is the processing power of chips. And, you know, there's some really interesting advancements with the use of graphene rather than silicon that allows you to use up to 10,000 times, they're reporting in laboratory demonstrations, 10,000 times faster connectivity amongst the chip in its processing power without any heat. 
And that starts to get really fascinating where we're wanting our computers to do more and more and we're wanting them to do faster and faster. So that'll be really fascinating to look at going forward as well. One thing all the technology leaders we've spoken to agree on is that the pace of change is accelerating at an extraordinary rate. As Bill Gates once put it, we always overestimate the change that will occur in the next two years and underestimate the change that will occur in the next 10. Don't let yourself be lulled into inaction. Andrew Wilson is the current CDO of Microsoft. The opportunity is huge. The role of technology will only ever be greater and greater, empowering a successful modern business. And it's going to be central to the quality of life. It's going to be central to the quality of customer experiences and relationships. It's going to be central to growth, to business success. And when I look across all of that, what better role to have and what better place to be practitioning in than the sphere of technology, because one can make so much more of a difference now than ever before. And so what I'm most excited about is the potential for how many things we can make better and prove because technology can now do so much more. Bernd Pluschoff, the Group Chief Digital Officer at winter sports company Uvex, takes a slightly different view. To be honest, I always struggle a bit with the question, what do you think will be the next big thing in technology? Uh, maybe AI, maybe blockchain, maybe something else. And I mean, I have a colleague who made a great joke saying, you know, blockchain is a technology still looking for a problem. I think we should not ask the question, what's the next big thing in technology? If pandemic and the world crisis has told us something, we should look for the next big problem to solve. And I mean, everybody agrees that Corona has given a push to digitization because people didn't have a choice to do if they want to do home office or not. And that made them actually deal with technology and use it in their daily lives. And so I think this is a small, but it's a perfect example for how we solve the problem. The problem of not being able to be close to your loved ones physically. This is the problem that we solve with digital media and with digital tools. And we should focus on solving the problems of the world and of the businesses that we lead in the world. There will always be new technologies out there, especially if you take a look at the small and medium-sized businesses. You will never be able to have every skill on board in your direct line. That's literally impossible. So managing an ecosystem of partners that helps you to engage with these kind of technology will be more and more important compared to building up teams in your own workforce because you're always you're always that one step behind there's always one thing happening out there which is faster than you so if you want to keep the pace or even outpace competition my belief is that you can only do this with a right ecosystem of partners which means that within your IT you need the capability and the skill to manage partners efficiently and at and at high pace which is a totally different skill compared to managing a team of developers. Thriving living enterprises need to adapt to change, and nothing has caused a bigger change to the way we live our lives than the coronavirus pandemic. 
Beatrice Capelli is the Chief Digital and Information Officer for British American Tobacco. I think the recent crisis with COVID first has accelerated very much the way we we do stuff, from the way we plan, the way we execute, the timing for us to make decisions, transformed the way we operate. If we were doing Agile before, uh, now we're doing Agile for projects uh, remotely and, and how to adapt that very quickly. I think when very positive surprise I've seen across many companies is how much the teams have really stepped up and uh, people and leaders, everyone uh, very much adapted quickly and and made this uh, new normal look kind of easy, even though uh, we were changing pretty much every day in terms of the scenario. So from a technology perspective, I think it is absolutely great opportunity for us to really accelerate some of the transformations we were all uh, aiming not just on the digital space, but uh, also in the operating model, in the ways of working, embedding very much remote working, embedding uh, different methods and, and, and collaboration behaviors that we were starting to have, but absolutely now are going to land uh, strongly across all the teams. The pandemic has acted as an acid test of all organizations' ability to function in a time of crisis. Adobe CIO Cynthia Stoddard says although no one could have seen it coming, they already had measures in place, which meant the company was able to cope better than most. So we had done actually a lot of pre-work and different activities that turned out to be beneficial to help us through the transition for COVID-19. So, you know, for example, a couple of years back, I took all the technologies and tools that touch our internal employees and put them in one area so that we could have consistency. And we developed a set of personas for tooling and we've consolidated and done a bunch of work in that area, which has turned out to be instrumental for you know people working from home because now they have the tools that are suited to their to their job and what they're doing, their tasks. You know, also, we did a lot of prep work uh, for the California fires, which turned out to be great. We didn't have any fires uh, that we needed to react to in the area, but that became the basis for, you know, our work from home scenario. So we were able to click over 22,000 people over a weekend to work from home. So, you know, that I would say that we've focused more on uh, the workplace of the future very actively looking to source and provide new innovative and collaborative experiences. You know, for example, we're looking at virtual whiteboarding and how do we conduct meetings in a different way? Looking at automation, you know, how do we take out the human touch? How do we use, you know, different communication channels so people can communicate as they as they would in the coffee room? And then, you know, again, uh, using AI and bots to eliminate phone calls so people can, you know, continually work on their own pace because everybody has different schedules during COVID. You know, our core priorities have remained aligned with Adobe priorities, which haven't changed. But we have put a little bit more oomph behind looking at some of these futuristic tools that will allow us to work remotely. Remote working looks like it's here to stay for many of us. That adds to the challenge of prioritising employee experience. Technology has a huge role to play in the future of any organisation, but people are a living enterprise's key asset. 
and nimble, dynamic, forward-thinking companies are already looking to tackle another big issue in the technology sector, diversity. Data from the National Center for Women and Information Technology, US, shows that in 2019, women made up 50% of those in professional occupations in the US. But only 26% of professional computing or tech roles were occupied by women. And a 2017 poll from the Pew Research Center found that 50% of women said they had experienced gender discrimination at work, while only 19% of men said the same. So there's clearly still an issue. But has progress been made? Aileen Hayes from Experian. I do think it's improved a lot. I see a lot more women CIOs. I see a lot more women assistant directors and directors coming through that are tomorrow's CIOs. So I'm really hopeful for the future. And I also see the benefit of having a much more diverse group at that level because it does bring lots of different qualities. However, the area that I think we're doing really poorly at is around ethnicity. So when you look at a group of CIOs, they are still, unfortunately, very largely white. And when I say unfortunately, there's nothing wrong with being white, but it does feel really odd that we've got a high profile career area where it is still so white. And it doesn't feel like it's representative of the people below. So if I look at teams below CIOs, IT directors, etc., they are much more diverse. But I don't see that diversity come through at a senior level. Madden Murty is Director of Technology at management consultants Argon & Co. Like Aileen, he says things have improved, but there's still some way to go. I've been fortunate to work with businesses and organisations where there was a, an all-round gender and racial inclusiveness in the hiring policies. And I think that's been a great experience because I, I strongly believe that different perspectives the cultural diversity brings and the gender diversity brings is actually uh, makes it for a great balanced team. So I think it's happening, but the pace at which um, it needs to happen can definitely improve because I think, in my opinion, I strongly believe that having that inclusiveness is actually going to open up new opportunities. It is going to bring paradigm shifts in our thinking in terms of how we operate, how our businesses operate. Then that's going to make a world a truly a better place. You know, as cliched as it sounds, it truly would make it a better place. And the research backs up what Madan and Aileen say. According to the US Bureau of Labour Statistics, the total percentage of people of colour in the IT industry has essentially remained flat over the past five years. So how does a modern, open, living enterprise improve the diversity of its employees? For Aileen Hayes, it's about being proactive. The other thing that I think is really important is that sense of having people who advocate for you, who push you a little bit more, who want more for you, if you don't aspire, maybe they aspire for you and just make you think differently and open up your thinking. And things like coaching and mentoring programs, I think, are hugely useful. So I think having a targeted mentoring and coaching can help as well to make sure that you reach the people who are probably underrepresented at certain levels in your business and making sure that they have the opportunity to grow and learn and expand and they get that direct support and that direct coaching to help them be successful. Uh, I think they're hugely important things we can do as well. 
And what about the idea of quotas? I really hate the idea of having a target. So as a woman, I get really uncomfortable when people say that there is a target for interview panels. I want to know that I got on the shortlist panel because I'm really good at what I do. I want to know that if I got the job, I got the job because I'm really good at what I can do, not because I'm female. And we need to make sure that BAME candidates have exactly the same thing, that they can feel confident that they are being able to progress because of who they are and what they bring. However, I did work for an organisation that did set quotas. And initially I was like, oh God, quotas, that's horrible. But actually it brought about change. It did actually work. We started to see more women come through into senior roles. So I don't like quotas. I'm really uncomfortable with them, but I've seen them work. And perhaps in some areas, that is the only way to actually break through whatever it is that seems to be blocking people being able to move into leadership roles who should be there. It's not only about gender diversity, it's about diversity in many, many dimensions. The head of Microsoft's partner business in Germany, Andre Kiener. And also inclusion is a very important topic on how to make, for example, or give disabled people the ability to contribute to the things which are quite natural to all of us. If you want to serve the world, you need to represent the world. And it does mean in simple words, diversity is not an option. It is a must have if you want to understand all your customers and, and, and all the people you are serving, right? So, and this is why not only on the leadership um, team, um, but also on the sales teams, on the individual contributor level, we look a lot on diversity in the hiring process, for example. And it is not just fulfilling a specific number saying, uh, so and so much percentage of your workforce needs to be female. It's a question of respect. It's a question of how do you enable diverse thinking, for example, in your specific unit, in your specific company. And for Jay Farrow, CIO of Quickrete, a commitment to diversity isn't just about being seen to do the right thing. It can have direct benefits to an organisation in fostering more creativity, more innovation through harnessing different experiences and different ways of thinking. A commitment to diversity and inclusion has got to infuse everything you're doing as a leader. It's not a memo. It's not an educational course that you take, although those things can be part of it. It's something that has got to permeate everything you do as a leader. And you've got to take action. It's got to be intentional. And there's got to be direct material results of that. You can't just say, I'm committed to it, but yet I don't have a diverse team, or I'm, I'm committed to inclusion, or, and I support you doing it. But for me, you know, not so much. It's got to infuse everything you do. Now, I would also say that diverse teams are the best teams. We know this. There's been studies all over the place that diverse teams are actually more effective. So whether or not you care about it, and you should, you should care about it, but if you're just a heartless human being that doesn't care about it, you should want to do it anyway. Your team is going to be better. The future for CIOs is exciting and challenging in equal measure. The world is changing at a dizzying pace. Technology is going to play an ever more central role in all aspects of our lives, and CIOs have a key part to play in helping create the living enterprises who will be best placed to thrive in this brave new world. But there's lots to think about. 
So what keeps some of our CIOs up at night? Cynthia Stoddard, CIO at Adobe. What keeps me up at night is people and talent. You know, I worry about talent and making sure that we have the right staff. You know, it's a very competitive world. It's one thing to have the right technology, but the right technology is actually the easy part. The hard part is keeping the staff engaged and motivated and on the edge to want to keep innovating. And, you know, as we're all remote, that's harder to do. It's harder to keep in touch. So, you know, looking at ways, different ways to do this over the years is top of mind for me and actually does keep me up at night. If I'm to lie awake at night and worry about anything, as the CDO, it's trying to navigate everything sufficiently quickly and fully when there is never going to be enough capacity to do that. Microsoft's CDO, Andrew Wilson. So answering the question, am I truly doing the right things in the right order and to the right degree to most fully prepare my business, my employees and my customers for the next phase of life? And to worry that, did I make the right call? Did I use the right tools and technology? Were they sufficiently mature and ready? Did I connect them together properly? Did I scale them properly? Did I invest in one area over another area appropriately? Have I made my business sufficiently flexible for the future? Can I adapt quickly enough to changes in requirements? Did I remember to modernize everything? Did I recognize that the the data model of the company needed to mature as much as the technology footprint? Did I make sure I protected everybody sufficiently? Am I creating a good enough employee experience and something that will attract and retain the best forms of talent that will enable my company to grow and thrive in the future? And so the list of things I could worry about and be awake at night, sleeplessly thinking about is very big. Equally, equally, the opportunity is huge. And that's all for this episode. In the final episode, we're going to pause for breath at the end of our global tour and distill all the key lessons we've learned from the world-class technology leaders we've spoken to into one user-friendly package. From mastering the boardroom, creating dynamic and collaborative teams, through to keeping your living enterprise secure in the cyberspace. And to dig deeper into the philosophy behind the living enterprise and the CIO's role within it, search The Living Enterprise to check out our dedicated website for insights, advice and resources to help CIOs build one.